You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. My name is Amy, Amy Baker. I'm part of the leadership here. Um, welcome if you're visiting. Also welcome if you're not visiting. Good morning. Uh, when Pastor Steve texted me last month to ask me if uh, I'd be okay speaking this morning since he would be away, he explained that he would be away because he was going to be with his child in the States for a speed cubing tournament. Now, I misread that, and I read it as speed curling, and I was like, wait a minute, how fast is that? <laughs> like, what do you even yell for speed curling? Because you're already yelling hurry hard. So like, how fast is this? This sounds amazing. Can I come? And then, of course, we read the message and said, yes, although speed cubing somehow sounds a little bit more boring by comparison. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> um, over the last few, few weeks, we've gone through a quick review of a longer sermon series that we did in the spring, which is when we were exploring why we were joining the group called the Jesus Collective. And the Jesus Collective is a multinational kind of umbrella organization of churches. Um, we share resources with each other without us all needing to be in the same like denomination or even agreeing on all the same stuff. Instead, we focus on some key tenets, some key components that all place Jesus at the very center of everything we do as churches. So today I want to take a look at a section from Luke. Oh yeah, Amy's sermon. Um, that I think will be a really good teaching for us as we move forward. Uh, it's also a standalone sermon so that when Pastor Steve begins our next sermon series, this hopefully kind of ties things together a little bit. So um, part of this involves a parable. And I guess the main part of it involves a parable. And if you are a recent graduate of our Roots and Shoots program, which is our children's ministry here, you're probably going to recognize this parable uh, from an activity we did called a parable box from Godly Play. And uh, you might recognize some of the language that I use because they repeat language a lot to teach liturgy. So here we go. Parables are tricky. They are stories given to us by Jesus, like little gifts wrapped up in different ways. They are kind of like riddles. They're words that we need to turn over and over again at different times in our lives because our experiences color how we see them each time and what we can pull from them each time. A parable can mean different things to different people at different times. And they are to be approached with openness and with a willingness to learn something new. So let's set some background here first because that also helps when you're approaching a parable. In this particular piece of scripture that we're going to look at today, we have Jesus. He's a fresh, up-and-coming new rabbi who is kind of reluctantly gathering fame while preaching a bold new way of how to follow God. His work is disruptive to a power structure of that time, and it's been gaining him some attention uh, from people for whom that power structure was actually working pretty well. So tonight, they're throwing a dinner party, and they invite Jesus to join them. And their intention here is not necessarily one of hospitality, although that might have been part of it. But we know at least part of their intention here was to study Jesus, to see what makes him tick. And maybe if all goes well, they can name drop later that they had dinner and rubbed elbows with this fella. 
but it's pretty clear right away that things are not going well <laughs> at this particular party. Uh, everybody moves over to the table so they can start eating together, and Jesus notices that some of the guests immediately scramble for the good seats. So basically, he scolds them, saying, hey, it's going to be super embarrassing if you walk in and take the best seat, only for your host to come over and uh, make you move so that a better guest can take your spot. And then he adds, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and you'll get repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus knows exactly how society is stacked at this time and how some people are seen to have more value than others. He's trying to gently rebuke this at this party. And he goes on to say, and here's our parable, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who had been invited, come for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yokes of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So the story kind of cuts off here. We don't know how the guests reacted to this particular teaching or if it affected them in any way, how it shaped the evening. But if you grew up in a church like I did, you probably have heard children's lessons and songs and sermons about this parable potentially lots of times. And those lessons probably focused more on, if you have similar experiences as me, the three people who gave their excuses and didn't come to the banquet. But there are some really good lessons there. Uh, today, we're not going to talk about those people. We are going to talk about the people who did come. We're going to talk about the banquet that did happen in spite of the original invitations. What has become clear to us over time is uh, as people who study God's word and try to learn from it, is that the great banquet represents God's kingdom. The second Jesus collective marker that we have been learning uh, says, to be saved includes belonging to a community under Jesus called to live the life of the future now. So since we are the church, we are called to represent God's kingdom here and now on earth. And that means that the great banquet, which also represents what we are meant to look like, also shows us how we are meant to behave as the church. And when I say the church, it's like capital T, capital C. I don't just mean grassroots. I mean like the whole system that is the church. 
So I want you to just picture for a moment what that banquet would have been like, the people who did come, the poor people, disabled people, the people who were considered to be outcasts, people who were considered to be outsiders, sitting, breaking bread together. So let's talk about what we need to do to make that happen here on Earth. And just a side note, before we jump in too deeply into this today, I do want to note that the people who came to the table with disabilities didn't leave healed. The people who came to the table who were poor, they didn't leave rich. The people who were the outsiders who had come from outside the city gates, they went back to their spaces. They didn't suddenly relocate into within the city walls. And this created a diverse and unique space and I think that's what God wants us to do too. Diversity is a key characteristic of the kingdom of God. Whenever we fall short of this, we're missing something and we're not living fully in community with each other together. And it can be really hard to do that, but it's worth it to keep trying and to be intentional about how to include everyone. So let's consider the part of the story where the servant goes out and approaches the poor and the disabled in the city with his invitation and invites them to come to this banquet. Um, so I have lived in pretty incredible poverty when I was growing up, so I can identify with the source, like the feeling of lack that some of these poor people had. Um, I now technically could probably be considered by some people in the early church to be lame or crippled. Um, this gives me a unique perspective on this part of scripture. And I'm not telling you that so that you feel sorry for me or anything, just so that you know where I'm coming from when I read this. So I have end-stage arthritis in both of my knees, which means that my knees are bone on bone. There's no cartilage. Um, I also have a painful condition called lipedema and a few other fun little things thrown in the mix. So this means uh, during my daily life, I have a lot of chronic pain and there are very limited treatment options for me. So that being said, I can honestly say that if some guy came up to me and was like, hey, come to a party, I would not necessarily have been eager to accept this invitation without having more information. Because my life experiences have taught me that in order to participate in things, it's probably a little safer for me to protect myself and enter into invitations with a little bit of cynicism. Because if I overdo it physically one day, I pay for it for days. Hence me sitting today. Um, I don't know what it's like when I walk into a brand new environment. Um, how will I get inside? Will there be a place where I can sit down comfortably if I need to? Will I be able to move around with dignity if I'm on a, using my cane that day? Uh, will I be mocked or ridiculed? Will the stairs have a railing that I can use? Like These are sometimes basic things. And honestly, if I don't know the answers to those questions, it might not just, it's just not worth my time or my energy or the pain that it'll cause me to, to participate in things uh, just because I'll get a free meal even if I'm hungry, or some social time, even if I'm lonely. So sometimes it's just easier to stay at home where I've created a safe space for myself where I can be as comfortable as possible. So I know that these people did accept this invitation. So that tells me that the master of the house in this story must have made this space accessible. He must have considered those accommodations and supports that these guests would need in order to participate. We know that there were poor people there, so he must have assured them that there would be no cost to them 
for attending this. They wouldn't have to buy new clothes. They wouldn't have to pay to get in. They wouldn't have to get a bill at the end. This servant must have communicated patiently and clearly with the people that he was inviting who had physical limitations so that they felt like they would be safe participating in this banquet. Because otherwise, some of them might not have come. So this part of the story is about removing barriers so that people can participate no matter what their status is or their economic status or their physical status, their limitations, things like that. The story says that the master specified to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And we have reviewed how important it is to be welcoming to people who have different physical disabilities or economically disadvantaged. However, I don't think that the, this list of those participants, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, I don't think that Jesus meant for this list to be exhaustive. That doesn't cover all of the people who experience boundaries or barriers um, when it comes to participating in God's kingdom. I think that we are meant to reflect frequently on those in our society who feel excluded from fellowship with Christ. And we want to work to include them so that we can continue to build this diverse banquet that's described in this parable. Because there are lots of different marginalized people who could use our support and our encouragement because they've maybe been turned away from the table or they have been welcomed, but there were strings attached um, or there were harmful limitations put around their, their participation. So for example, um, this weekend. Lots of reasons that Indigenous people might be hesitant to accept an invitation to this banquet. Because not very long ago, the church ran, the church ran residential schools that separated Indigenous children from their families in order to try to kill their culture and to force conformity and compliance. And you'll see a lot of people this weekend wearing orange shirts. And that's a kind of gesture that's an intentional way to show Indigenous people that we are aware of this issue, we care about this issue, and they would be welcome to spend time with us. But of course, it's not enough to truly make uh, any banquet table that welcomes Indigenous people. We can't just do gestures. We have to work to repent from what the church has done to them and work to bring around genuine reconciliation. And this is a process that we can probably expect to take years and generations, but it's what we're called to do, so it's worth it. Like I said earlier, one of the beautiful things about parables is that God can use them to mean different things to different people at different times. And this is where our different experiences and relationships come into play. I think that we're called to promote diversity in our personal lives as well, not just at a larger community level. So the banquet table is both a metaphor for the kingdom of God, for us as a church, and also a call for us to personally consider who we eat with. So I challenge all of us to think about where God might be calling you to increase the diversity of your own table. Who are we sitting with? Are we fostering power dynamics that benefit us 
or are we challenging unfair systems so that they benefit everybody? Are we shaping spaces where people are welcomed and encouraged to draw near to God, as well as giving them the, the tools to do so? And shout out to the folks on the live stream today. This includes my daughter, Anna. She had a fever yesterday, so she's at home today, um, even though she's feeling great, because uh, technology is one of those tools that we can use to remove barriers. So how are we reaching out to show love to people when they can't pay us back. I know that there are many of you people in this community who are doing this on, often on a daily basis, and that's inspirational, um, even if you don't think of it just because it's your regular life. And I think that it's really important for us as Grassroots Church to keep these kind of questions in mind as we move into this season that we're stepping into of planning our next building, our next property, our next steps after this building um, as Grassroots Church. And part of that is participating in discussions such as the one we're having in October, where we are um, connecting as a community to see, well, okay, well, what parts of Thunder Bay do we want to reach out to? How do we do that? Um, and taking, you know, in the direction-shaping conversations that we had a few weeks ago, that's what Kirsten was talking about, that the, I guess the answers, the results, someone has compiled all that info from those discussions, and we'll be sharing that with you, I think, next week. So during that discussion a few weeks ago, my husband, Scott, um, had the table with the questions about what we want to see in our new building. And we were talking about it after in the car, and he's like, you know what, Amy, like, nearly every group put accessibility as one of the chief considerations for what we need in a new building space. So we've loved being in this building and this property, which was blessed to us years ago. Um, but one of the things that people have often commented on as being a barrier is physical access, because these paths, these bike and walking paths out front are very new. And before, there was nothing there. It was just a ditch culvert thing that went along. So people would still bike because that's part of the culture at Grassroots and you would just get used to seeing these like sometimes 10 year olds on that road out there with their parents. And I mean, it, they're, they're with their parents, they're being safe, it's fine, but it's also not ideal. We're not making it safe necessarily um, for those families. And if you want a bus here, like that's, I don't even think we're on a bus line. Or if we are, it's, it's not like, there's not a stop right out there. So you have to drive, or you have to get a ride. And looking around, I can see some people that are not here today, and I'm pretty sure it's because they couldn't get a lift. So if we're gonna talk about removing barriers, we're talking about getting to the property, the church, without a vehicle. Um, some other people meant more um, physical, within the building things about barriers, such as making sure we had an elevator, uh, or some kind of ramp system to get up, you know, pushing the button on the door so that it opens, having a handicap stall in the bathroom, having change tables in the bathroom um, to remove barriers for parents there. Um, other people talked about at that table um, certain parts of town where they would like to move grassroots to locate so that we can offer support to those neighborhoods. So all of this is really good to hear. I'm really glad to hear that this is 
being thought about by people and that we're trying to see how we can um, be present in a way that helps Jesus to build his kingdom here through us. But guys, we have to do more than just say we want to be an accessible space. If we're going to celebrate that everyone has been invited and has a place at this table, and it's up to them to accept or reject it, then we need to make sure that that's really a safe place and that there really is a space for them here. It needs to be safe, but it also needs to be comfortable and welcoming. It can't just be open, take it or leave it. If they can't accept the invitation to participate in our community or at the table or in God's kingdom in general as a bigger picture, if they can't accept out of fear of physical pain or discomfort or shame or rejection or further harm being done, then we haven't really set a table where everybody's welcome. So we've just said the words and we haven't actually done it. We need to be intentional about it. Okay, so let's jump ahead a little bit and assume that yes, we have followed Jesus' command. We have created a diverse, a truly hospitable, authentic community that really is safe, open, and welcoming for all. So how do we live in that kind of authentic unity? We sometimes think that the early church, back in the gospel days, had this kind of thing all figured out. I don't know if it's rose-colored glasses or just a way of reading scripture, but we often think that, oh, yes, they lived in community. It was great. They met in homes and maybe in caves if they needed to, but they worshiped together, and it was great. But nope. (laughs) Um, This created a lot of problems living this way for these folks. The early church community had members from radically different social standings, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds. It probably had people who had physical or mental disabilities. Um, Some of these people were coming from spaces where they had lived their whole lives uh, with cultural or religious rules that meant that they didn't mix with others. They just stayed within their own group. So now they're trying to live together. They're trying to follow God in a bold new way. They've fulfilled Jesus's banquet vision, uh, maybe in some ways more effectively than we do today. And it created huge problems in their communities. Instead of sharing at the table equally, we had rich people who would eat lavishly while poor people would go hungry. We had people who were condemning each other over deep theological divisions of that day, which were mainly kosher food laws and circumcision. Uh, And there were still people who were considered outsiders or rejects. There was still radicalization and differences of opinion and differences of heart that caused issues between people, because this is hard stuff to get past sometimes. And we can see that the letters of Paul are absolutely full of admonishments for all of these different groups and communities that had started to just follow what Jesus had laid out for them and just treat everybody better. And yeah, living this way of being truly welcoming, is, it can be really hard. It can be hard to submit to each other's needs, especially when we have to put them above our own or we just don't understand where they're coming from. We don't understand why it's a need. And the last few years have been so challenging and some of us feel like we're, up, we're at our top 
Like, how can I possibly give more? How can I bend more? How can you ask me to be more humble to my neighbor and more caring when I've had it? My money is tight. My body hurts. I'm tired. I parent challenging children. I have a job that is driving me nuts because it's take, 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 and there's no, here you go, give. And people are running, often I find, on empty or close to empty. And now I'm here and I'm telling you, hey, you need to give a little more. You need to be a little more open. And that can be exhausting and it can feel performative if you don't know exactly what the steps to uh, reconciliation or shalom, peace together, what that looks like. It can feel like you're just faking it. Faking it till you make it. So that's why these kind of deliberate steps towards hospitality and accessibility are not just something you can do once. We're going to have this discussion in October talking about what we're going to do next with our church and where we're going to move and how we're going to be accessible and how we're going to be hospitable. But folks, that can't be the end of the discussion. We're going to be having these discussions over and over and over again for the rest of our lives together. And then our kids are going to pick it up and they're going to keep doing it. Because you have to keep making those steps over and over again to like look around our community and be like, you good? How can I make your life a little bit better? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? And not just our church community, but our, like our neighbors, the people that we live with, our family, um, the people that might live in other cities but are still really close to us in our hearts. So if we're going to maintain this diverse, unified, Jesus-centered community, it's an ongoing process. And Grassroots Church has stretched a lot in the last couple of years, and I would say potentially has never gone a long time without some drama or challenging things happening. Um, but especially in the last few years, as we lost our pastor and moved into... Um, different like several different transitional phases at once. It's, it's been hard, but it's also been really good. I've been part of some of these discussions. Um, I think it's, it's really good that we're stretching and we're growing. And yeah, it's uncomfortable sometimes. But I think that's what we're called. We're not called to comfort. We're called to um, look at these things in a fresh way over and over and over again. And if it helps, we are not doing this alone. Part of, again, the, um, one of the Jesus markers, the fifth one, is the Holy Spirit empowers us to partner with God's work of reconciling all things. So as we go through these things, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be challenged. It's okay to be like, wow, I'm tired. I would like things to be easy again. We can't do that at the expense of other people who um, that might create a barrier for to participate in God's kingdom. And we aren't doing that alone. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. All we have to do is reach out and ask. Um, Pastor Steve, who'll be back next week, uh, will be exploring that kind of that concept um, of how the Holy Spirit empowers us to partner with God's work through reconciling all things as he goes through Galatians. That's his uh, next sermon series, so please stay tuned for that. Um, 
So yeah, this parable is not the only time that Jesus used the metaphor of a banquet to represent the kingdom of God. This is a common theme. Food in general is a common theme. Um, Indeed, he gave us a banquet as our most important ritual and practice together. So let us obey the command of Jesus now as we all come to the same table and we break bread together in remembrance of him. So let's pray together before we do that. Heavenly Father, please help us to show love and compassion to others. Help us to remove barriers and to break down walls that separate you from your people. Help us to be a source of protection and of support rather than harm. Help us to foster relationships that um, help people and that reflects mutual respect and mutual grace. Amen. So this is an invitation for us all to participate in communion together. No matter who you are or what you have on your heart, this is an open table. You can participate if you would like to. You can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, remembering that God's sacrifice was made for all of us without limitation. And there is a gluten-free option on this side. If that is an accommodation that you need, we have made that for you. So you are welcome to the table.